It's episode 37 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Bean. This week, Carissa Romero joins the program. She's a partner at Paradigm, a consulting firm focused on helping companies become more diverse and inclusive. We talk about the research that shows how teams with more diverse members create better products and better business outcomes. We also discuss how to use those strategies in your own work. So let's get right to it. So this is the first uh, this is the first conversation that I'm having in the new year. Um, so happy new year. Happy new year. And thanks for joining the program. I appreciate you you coming on the show. Uh, how's your year been thanks so far? Thanks for having me. Oh yeah, sure. How's it been so far this first week? It's been great. Uh, I went to Costa Rica over the break, oh. and so I'm really refreshed and excited to be back. I went to Costa Rica like 20 years ago, um, and it was one of it was just like a life changing thing for me. It was such a great trip. Uh, were you out so in the beautiful. rainforest and whatnot? Yeah, we uh, flew into San Jose and then did a tour of the cloud forest, uh, and then we went to Manuel Antonio and got an Airbnb like near the beach. It was beautiful. Uh, what about you? Great. That sounds great. Uh, I just stayed in London the whole time, um, nice. which was actually really nice because I typically like go back to California for Christmas, and uh, have, not having to travel was kind of uh, a luxury. Um, yeah. and, and the city kind of empty and very quiet. And we like, we went to a bunch of shows and you know stuff like that. Um, it was really nice. I, we had a good time. That's awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, well, you know, it's, it's new year and everything. It's worthwhile kind of looking back on this past year and like, wow, you know, what a year mm-hmm. it's sort of been. Um, <laughs> but I've been, I've been reflecting on that a little bit in the context of this podcast because uh, sort of the, the reason for being in this, uh, doing this podcast and the reason it's here, it's kind of twofold. One is around just uh, this desire for us to make better products in the world. Uh, and the second is to sort of help empower designers to have better careers. I think that's kind of how I've been thinking about this a little bit. And I thought the research that you have been doing lately on diversity and inclusion would be really valuable as part of that conversation in both of those aspects, really. Uh, and I thought we could talk a little bit about that. How did you sort of, um, how long have you been in, uh, looking at those, uh, topics as part of your professional career? So my background is in the behavioral sciences. So I have my doctorate um, in psychology, uh, my research focused on mindsets. So these are the beliefs that lead people to do their best work in challenging environments. So Mm -hmm. looked at things like a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, um, something called growth mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are all beliefs that are especially important uh, to people from stereotype or for people from stereotyped groups. Um, So thought a lot about things like stereotype threat and bias, uh, and then while I was working on my doctorate, um, co-founded a, a center that's housed within Stanford University to apply um, this kind of research and was mostly doing that um, in the education context, so adult learners and high school students, and then got really excited about the opportunity to apply this kind of research in organizations. And so that's what brought me to Paradigm, where I am now. I've been at Paradigm uh, since September of 2015 doing, doing uh, this work specifically in organizations. What does that mean sort of day-to-day? Like you, you're consulting projects with teams or with, with organizations that want to have a diversity strategy or is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Um, so my role, so I lead the consulting team here. I'm a, I'm a partner and day-to-day what that looks like is you know, partnering with companies to take a look at their data and help them design strategy based on not just what we know from behavioral science research, but also based on their unique data so that we can design targeted strategies that address like where are their gaps specifically. And you mean gaps like in hiring? 
Uh, not just hiring. So we we actually work across the entire employee life cycle. So we're looking at how our company is recruiting and hiring. And then also once people get there, what are companies to, doing to build an inclusive environment where everyone is empowered to do their best work? Great. Well, that's exactly what I want to talk about. That's perfect. Awesome. <laughs> that's good. Because <laughs> um, uh, So look, when, I'm, when I've been thinking about the last couple of years, uh, it feels like in tech, there has been this sort of uh, awakening, okay. uh, this kind of um, understanding that technology has become so mainstream that it's almost not technology anymore. You know, that like all companies are basically tech companies and all products are basically tech products at this point. And so that the yeah. reality is that, that regular everyday people in their lives cannot live in contemporary society without using technology. I think that's, that's kind of the big shift that's happened. This has probably taken the last decade or so to really make that happen, but it feels like in the last year that has really come to, to light. Like if you need to use technology in almost every single aspect of your life to be able to function in society. And so as we sort of realized that, like we've also realized that like the stuff that we had been using that we thought was mostly harmless, like these little fun little social media apps are turning out to kind of fundamentally change how democracy works. You know, like it's, this has been like a big thing in the, in the last 12 months or so. And the problem, really? as, as I relate it back to what I do as a designer and, and, and what I think about on this podcast is that, um, that so much of these products, this technology that you need to do your life has been kind of designed by quote unquote tech people. They've been doing a pretty poor job of that. It turns out that, um, most of these products are designed without ever considering anyone, but the tech people themselves with very little research and kind of making product decisions that only really apply to themselves. And, if you need the products to live, therefore, there's this sense of inequality that's been developing around technology, that these products are designed for sort of very technologically sophisticated people that had specialized training. I don't have that. I'm feeling left out, but I need it, and that's unfair. And so that's why I think like, okay, so how do we make products better that include everybody? And, uh, and what do we have to change both in the composition of the teams that make these products, but also in, as you say, the mindset and the, and the sense of um, empowerment they have to be able to make these kinds of changes in their organizations. So anyway, that's a whole bunch of stuff that I've been thinking about, but it feels very sort of aligned with uh, uh, a lot of the research that I've read that you have been involved in. Yeah. And I saw that you talked about psychological safety before, and I'm curious if you've come across um, Amy Edmondson's research. So she's one of the lead researchers, researchers on psychological safety. I have. I have. It's great stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think that, and I'm, as I'm sure you know, that it nicely ties together what, what you want to talk about today, which is the role of diversity and diverse teams um, with psychological safety and and. Her book, Teaming to Innovate, as you may know, she kind of talks about the key ingredients to innovation. And one of them, of course, is, is psychological safety and people feeling safe making mistakes. And then another important part of that is, of course, teams. And she talks a lot about the importance of people with different backgrounds coming together in order to innovate. So let's start with that hypothesis. And we'll, we'll kind of we'll weave them all in together. But the hypothesis is that diverse teams can improve the quality of products and re- improve business outcomes. And I have seen research on it. I haven't internalized a lot of it. It is something I desperately want to believe. It is very much aligned with my values. It is also a hypothesis that I have experienced in my, uh, in my own background, but that's just one data point. But like, is it true? I think there's actually a lot more research than, than people know about that shows that diverse teams perform better. And 
and, and actually not just real-world correlational research, but experimental research that kind of helps us tease apart not just that it's a causal relationship, but also helps us understand like, why this is the case. So I'd be happy to, to t- just talk a little bit more about both some of those real-world studies and particularly like in what situations diversity is most important and also some of that experimental research that shows that this is, is causal um, in particular situations and also kind of um, digs into why, why is it that diverse teams perform better. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, so I can talk starting, I can start with some of the correlational real world studies. I think that's important. Um, you want to see this in real companies first in order to really uh, make the case. I think one really interesting study um, comes from business professors at the University of Maryland and, and Columbia, and they study the effect of gender diversity on top firms in Stanford and Poor's composite 1500 list. And so what they did is they examined the gender composition specifically of management teams, and they, they followed these teams for over 10 years. And what they ended up concluding is, is that female representation in top management uh, led to an increase of $42 million in firm value. So what's nice about the real-world studies is that they can actually put of a number on what the impact is. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, specifically in this study, they found the effect was driven by firms that cared about innovation. Uh, so if you ask companies, do you care about innovation, and they say no, uh, it's not the case that you always see in every single study ever done, in every company ever studied, that diverse teams perform better. When innovation doesn't matter, uh, which I think is less and less the case with most companies these right. days, uh, you actually see equal performance. So I would argue that diversity still matters for you know moral and historical reasons, but in terms of performance, you see kind of equal performance when innovation doesn't matter. Specifically, when when companies do care about innovation, that's where you see this relationship between diversity and, in real-world studies, uh, better financial performance. And there's also interesting research uh, looking at this with racial diversity. So um, there's a study done with uh, almost 200 national banks in the U.S., and researchers measured racial diversity um, and the emphasis, again, that the banks put on innovation specifically. And again... Um, when they looked specifically at the companies that were focused on innovation, that's where they saw the relationship between racial diversity and enhanced financial performance. So let me ask you just a little bit. And um, my whole background is in like, you know, designing around cutting edge tech and stuff like that, like for for um, for the entirety of my career. So I have a hard time getting my head around a company saying, no, we do not care about innovation. What kind of, do you mean like some insurance company that has just a whole bunch of customers and they're good at customer service and they're like, this is our, these are our offerings and they're, they're fine. Or like, I, I just can't quite like who would answer no to that. I, I think the same thing. Every time <laughs> I, I go back and read this research, I think these are also, you know, academic research. Uh, the pace is quite slow. I think these are studies that were done a while ago, and and also in um, kind of older industries, industries that have been around for a while, where you know, they might have had some uh, like banks, for example, mm. that would say no. I, I think a lot of banks today, though, probably- uh, <laughs> yeah, are, are pretty different. And I would be surprised um, if if most banks that are that are still around are, are answering no to this question. Right, right, right. So it is essentially, and maybe maybe. Um, innovation is even sort of a proxy for companies that require new creative solutions to problems that they face, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think that's where 
the experimental research like helps us tease apart that out, tease, tease that, tease that out. So there's a study specifically that looks at this, that, um, when teams are diverse, they're better able to solve problems that require creativity. Uh, there's a, a kind of cool study that looks at this where, so the, the way you can tease apart the causality is actually bringing people into the lab and then creating teams. So either randomly making the teams diverse or rand- randomly making the teams homogenous mm-hmm. and then asking them to work on something that involves creativity. So there's a um, creativity researchers frequently use this task called the Taurus problem, where they ask people to come up with as many ideas as possible to uh, get more tourists to visit the United States. And so they did this and they looked at how people uh, solved this problem when they were on a diverse team compared to when they were on a homogenous team. Uh, and the teams were, so it was either all white Americans or uh, groups composed of white, Asian, black, and Hispanic Americans. Um, and what they found is that not only did the diverse teams come up with like more ideas, but those ideas were also judged to be more effective by independent raters who didn't know the makeup of the teams. And they were also judged to be more feasible. So these are actually like more likely to be ideas that uh, would be possible in the, in the tourism industry. There feels like there's a bit of tension in, in this, in that like I can understand that a diverse team would have members of the team with uh, – different backgrounds, therefore a richer set of experiences that can lead to creative solutions, right? We just mm-hmm. have essentially more data to work with, right? Uh, there's more back there that can can help uh, with looking at a problem from different angles. But at the same time, we were talking earlier about the role of psychological safety in a team. And it feels like humans are inherently mistrustful of people that are different from them, and it takes more work. And that feels like that might be an impediment to feeling like I can be creative without retribution, because... Um, uh, if everybody around the table looks like me and acts like me and has the same sort of cultural touch points that I do, then I feel safer and then I'm more willing to be vulnerable around them. So don't those things seem a little bit at odds? I think it's a really great tension to call out. I have lots of thoughts on that. The first is, and this is simplifying, you didn't ask this, but I think a question that I often get asked that is similar to what, what you asked is, um, you know, might it be better for teams to not have conflict. Um, and I think that's kind of similar to what you're saying, or that might make it easier for teams to feel a sense of belonging, to have more psychological safety because people are similar, so there's not as much conflict. Uh, that's true that homogenous teams um, in some studies will experience less conflict. Uh, but what is interesting is that that's actually not uh, a good thing when you're thinking about coming up with creative, innovative solutions. You want uh, teams to be challenged. So when you're on a diverse team and you assume that people have different perspectives, that challenges your own thinking. Um, and I have lots of studies that I that I love to talk about about kind of how that works. Um, but I also agree with you that it's important to have, especially when a team is diverse, to really foster that sense of belonging, to really uh, create a psychologically safe environment. Because if you don't have that, you're, you're not going to get the benefits of diversity. People are only going to feel safe um, sharing ideas that they know will be accepted by the group. And so you might have a diverse team, but you're not actually hearing those different ideas. So I, I think especially when you have a diverse team, it's critical to build that sense of belonging so that people um, don't just feel comfortable because like everyone's the same, but, but feel comfortable sharing different ideas that are going to lead to better decisions. 
and more innovation. Yeah, interesting. So it is as if like the the complete safety of having a homogenous team makes all my ideas really homogenous. It's just like I just share the like the base level stuff as opposed to somebody says something and I'm like, huh, that doesn't match my experience. Let's let's work through that conflict. Is that sort of what it's getting at? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and also you kind of make different assumptions when you're on a diverse team compared to when you're on a homogenous team. So when you're on a team where you uh, assume that everyone is like you, you make another assumption. You assume that they're going to share your ideas, um, that they're going to have similar perspective to you. And so you don't feel like you have to work as hard to convince other people of your ideas, to explain your ideas. And so you end up not thinking through your ideas in the same way that you do when you're on a diverse team. When you're on a diverse team, you recognize that people might have a different perspective. And so you then challenge yourself to think through your own ideas a little bit more. And you know, it turns out when we're thinking through our, our ideas more, uh, we actually come up with better ideas. That's great. That's great. I hadn't. Uh, I think you know I've kind of brushed against some of that um, uh, research in the past, but hadn't really put that together. Like it really forces you to articulate what you believe and think it through. That's um, yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. It's a lot like uh, just a reason for writing. Like if you can write something down that explains what you think you know, it turns out you you probably didn't know it very well and, and need to go through that process of articulating it to do it. That's great. I love that example. Um, that's actually one strategy that we often share with uh, clients when we're talking about how to manage unconscious bias. Just the act of writing things down forces you to use that uh, logical part of your brain and it helps you make decisions that are less influenced by unconscious bias. Mm. So I, I love that. That's great. So you do some like exercises with them to, to tease that out? Is that? Yeah. So asking people, you know, uh, when you're thinking about who do you want to assign a high profile project to, just even write down on a sticky note, you don't even have to show it to anyone, that gives an explanation for why am I choosing this person for this project. And if that reason is just, I like being around them or... I have fun playing golf with them. Those aren't great reasons. Uh, and that'll, the act of writing that down will kind of draw that out and help you uh, choose for, for reasons that are more relevant to work. Hey, all you freelancers out there, you know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business, right? Our friends at FreshBooks can save you up to 192 hours with their cloud accounting software for freelancers that's ridiculously easy to use. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has dramatically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. Let me give you just two examples. First, their new notification center is like your personal assistant. You'll always know what's changed in your business since you last logged in and what needs to be dealt with pronto. Here's another example. When you email a client for an invoice, FreshBook can show you whether they've seen it or not, which totally puts an end to all of the guessing games around communicating with your clients. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash presentable and enter presentable in the how did you hear about us section. That's it. That's all you have to do. 30-day free trial. Thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So t- you've written a bit, uh, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, studied uh, this idea of mindset, um, the idea of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. I've read a little bit about this, but I would love to hear you talk more about that. And, and, and you've been applying it not just to individuals, but, but organizations as well. I find that really interesting. Yeah. I'm um, happy to talk more about fixed and growth mindsets. This is what I, I got my doctorate in, so I, I can talk about this <laughs> all day, but I will try not to. Uh, I'll just give a a brief summary to start. Uh, so there's, there's 
decades of research actually that shows that people tend to have different beliefs about the nature of talents and abilities. So some people uh, are more likely to have what's what's called a fixed mindset. They believe that talents, abilities, and intelligence are more like eye color. So you either have brown eyes or you don't. Uh, You're born with certain talents and abilities and not others, and there's not much you can do to change that. So that's kind of what people with a fixed mindset believe. On the other side, there are people that have more of a growth mindset. Uh, They recognize that intelligence, talents, and abilities are more like a muscle. So just like when you go to the gym and you work hard and you challenge yourself, you can make your muscles stronger. When you challenge your mind, when you work hard to, to learn something, you can actually strengthen your brain and become smarter and develop your talents and abilities. And there, and, and of course, it's not one or the other. People can have you know, different mindsets about different things. They can fall kind of somewhere in the middle and even different situations are more likely to bring about fixed or growth mindsets um, in individuals. Lots of research on the consequences of these mindsets um, across many different domains and how you approach relationships in uh, how you approach you know, learning a, a new instrument. Uh, but specifically in the workplace, lots of research shows that people with a growth mindset perform better um, in the workplace, especially in challenging environments. And the reason is because there are kind of different approaches to the workplace. When you have a fixed mindset, your goal is to really focus on proving yourself, which makes sense. If you believe that you're either smart or you're not, you want to show that you are smart, that you have it. Uh, when you are having to put a lot of effort into something, in a fixed mindset, that's seen as negative because it, it, it you feel like if I'm naturally good at this, it should be easy. I shouldn't have to put in effort. And when you face a challenge, you, you tend to give up because you believe you've discovered something you're not good at. And so if you're in a really challenging, fast-paced uh, environment, a, a lot of our clients that are tech companies care about this because people need to be able to bounce back to challenges in order to succeed in that environment. So in environments like that, uh, people with a fixed mindset really struggle, whereas in a growth mindset, people's goals are more focused on learning and improving because that's how you improve your, your talents and abilities is by trying new things. Uh, when things are hard, that's actually seen as, as a good thing because that is how you learn. That is how you develop your talents and abilities. And when faced with a challenge, it's, it, it's not that people don't find challenges hard or they don't get frustrated sometimes, but they really look at them as an opportunity to learn, which in uh, you know, innovative, challenging, fast-paced environments then leads to, to better performance. And it's not, like you mentioned, it's not just, uh, mindsets don't just exist at the individual level. Companies can actually create whole cultures that are either more in line with a growth mindset or more in line with a fixed mindset. Uh, so you can have cultures that are more in line with a fixed mindset where people are afraid to make mistakes, uh, where you know, people want to stay in their comfort zone. Or you can have environments uh, where people are really encouraged to try new things and, and learn from their mistakes. And this has been uh, proven at the individual level, at least, with, with, with proper science. Like uh, This reminds me of the sort of the, unco- the discoveries about neuroplasticity uh, by putting exactly. people pe- putting people in a in a in a brain scan machine an MRI or or whatever and um and looking at the difference between a normal person's brain and a London taxi driver right yeah. who has memorized the entire street grid and like their hippocampus is much larger or looking at Buddhist the brains of Buddhist monks where continuous practice has actually physically transformed like what's in their head right so 
Um, exactly. So that does support this idea that a growth mindset is, is actually possible. Like, like the brain is a muscle and, and can be trained mm-hmm. and, and physically responds to it. That's, um, but then applying that to a, an organization, I think like one of the connections that was interesting for me as I was reading some of the stuff you wrote was how you can kind of tell when you tease apart things like job descriptions when, when advertising for mm-hmm. open positions as, um, you know, the difference between we are looking for the smartest people in the world versus we are looking for people who are up for a challenge, right? Exactly. And the language that you use also then maps to the, um, the ability to, ha- to recruit people like the pipeline problem of diversity, right? Like all we get are very smart white men that apply for jobs. How can we hire women? Well, that's because you're asking for them to apply and you're, you're not, you're, you're discouraging women to apply by the language that you're using. So that's, uh, where this kind of fits in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's not necessarily obvious why, um, language like the best and the brightest would be more likely to attract white men. But if you think about, you know, what are stereotypes? I think it kind of makes sense. Stereotypes are beliefs about groups' fixed abilities. Mm. So when you when you take the idea of fixed abilities out of the equation, you're less likely to um, signal that you might be likely to rely on stereotypes when judging people. So when you use fixed mindset words, what you're signaling to people that might be applying is we might be likely to rely on stereotypes about your group. Unintentionally, you're, you're giving that message off. Interesting. So, um, so that fixed mindset saying, uh, that group of people, uh, is or isn't that, or does or doesn't have this kind of intelligence just because that is an inherent quality of people and, and applying that to things like gender, race, culture, or age even. Yeah. Right. And, and, and people who are worried about applying to companies that signal a fixed mindset because they're worried about being viewed through the lens of a negative stereotype, that's actually, um, a legitimate concern. There's mm. there's also research that shows that when people have a fixed mindset, they are more likely to rely on stereotypes. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So so how do we change companies that are doing this? Companies with tremendous influence in the world. We want them to make better products that are uh, that are better for more people. What do we, where do we start? What do we do? I think a big thing that we work with companies on, and especially that we work with leaders on is how do companies talk about mistakes and especially how do leaders talk about mistakes? And when you're thinking about how to foster a growth mindset environment, one of the first things that I tell people to do is talk about your own mistakes. Um, that makes it more comfortable for other people to talk about their mistakes. And, 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 and don't just talk about mistakes um, by saying that you made them, but, but talk about why they're important and what you learned from it and, and how it led to some better decision or led to your own learning. And then that licenses other people to do the same thing. So on our, on our team, we actually have a Slack channel called Favorite Mistakes where people share like what mistakes they made, uh, why they made that mistake. And th- that part is really important because then you can say, okay, the reason that I made th- this mistake was, was X, Y, or Z, and that means uh, these solutions will make sense. So here's what I'm going to do differently next time. Interesting. Interesting. Show how we learn is basically the way through. Exactly. And I think another big opportunity for everyone in an organization to foster growth mindset culture is in how you give feedback. So there's uh, some interesting research showing that when you give feedback, like you're brilliant, uh, you're a natural, you're so smart, that leads to more of a fixed mindset because uh, you're kind of suggesting it's, it's your inherent qualities that are leading to your success. Whereas when you give uh, feedback like 
I really like the way you used X, Y, and Z strategy. It led to this impact. That's fostering more of a growth mindset because you're showing that it's the things that you did. It's the process that you took that, uh, that that's leading you to be good at your job, not something inherent about you. And we're all, you know, as individuals, uh, if we're trying to help our colleagues grow, every person in the organization to, should be giving feedback all the time. So it's really a huge opportunity to just be infusing a growth mindset um, in the organization all the time. Yeah, I'm, I was laughing uh, because it reminds me of every parenting book I read <laughs> when, I, when, I, when we had our kids. It's just um, about how you how you tell them. Like uh, it it is about the effort that you put in, and not about some magical like genius you may or may not have. Right. So that's right, and not even just effort. That's obviously really important. But you know, you could uh, apply effort in a way that doesn't really make sense, mm. like rereading something over and over again instead of maybe. Uh, trying to apply what you learned or like repeat it back or you know, the strategy also matters too. So, so not just, so definitely um, giving people positive feedback on effort, but also on the strategies that you're using. And, right. and that same thing applies when you're thinking about critical feedback. So instead of just saying, you, know, you did a bad job, um, trying to explain like what in their process led to that. I'm yeah. um, trying to help them uh, figure that out for themselves. I think that's a little more obvious when you're talking about critical feedback because people don't like to give critical feedback focused on the person. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it's a little bit less obvious when you're thinking about praise. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Because you want to tell people they're awesome. Right. (laughs) That's that's very instinctual. Like, wow, you did a good thing and you are awesome. Thanks for being awesome. Totally. And it feels good to be told you're awesome. But then the problem is, when you face a challenge later, you think, well, if the reason that I did a good job before was because of this inherent thing that I have, then maybe the reason I'm facing a challenge now is because of this like lack of inherent ability that I have. Or maybe I've reached my limit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. I was just thinking about uh, what you were speaking about earlier about organizations showing how they learn as a way of demonstrating a growth mindset. And it brought to mind in like tech companies that have um, services that are required to have great uptime, how they publish essentially postmortems when they have outages, which is such a good example of it. And it seems sort of outside of a normal the normal context that you would think of of uh, an organization essentially being really emotionally aware and understanding, but like this idea of reassuring their customers that what happened so that that caused the service that you depend on to not be available to you will never ha- happen again. And here's why in great detail. And there's some amazing examples of, you know, these, these sort of, uh, we had an outage, we're sorry, and it, and it won't ever happen again, blog posts out there in the world. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's an interesting sort of connection to it. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, one example that, that I think of is Astro Teller who, Right, leads um, Google's innovation lab, and, mm-hmm. and he talks a lot about how um, he'll give people hugs for bringing a problem to him or killing a project, and that's because it's it's really crucial for for innovation to identify mistakes and challenges early on, and to be able to learn from those. Um, that's necessary for innovation. It's also necessary for innovation that people feel comfortable taking risks that might not work out because that's the only way that you learn. That's the only way that you're able to innovate. You have to try new things. And if every risk that you take 
works out, you're probably not really taking interesting mm-hmm. risks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's fostering this sense of psychological safety, right? I can. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's good. It seems to me, and maybe, <laughs> this is funny. Maybe this is an example of me having a fixed mindset, but it seems to me that designers, <laughs> maybe stereotypically, would more often have this growth mindset because of the nature of the job. And, um, and I'm, I'm sort of looping around on logic here now in my own head, but this idea that like, uh, in my experience, designers are the ones that have to push, um, uh, teams to take, to, to see things differently, to take a little bit more risk, to try a different idea. Uh, and that comes from the nature of the job being more perhaps connected with the end users, therefore having a greater sense of empathy and therefore w- willing to continuously learn and iterate their way towards, towards the solution. Or I could just be completely stereotypical. I don't know, but, um, but that's what pops to mind. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Um, and I, th- there's actually research that looks at whether fields uh, lean towards more of a growth or fixed mindset. I don't think that that research has looked at designers specifically. Oh, it should. Um, it has looked at engineering and computer science. Uh-huh. Uh, and and that field is maybe not surprisingly more likely to have a fixed mindset. Um, and, and, and interestingly, that research shows that the more that uh, practitioners in a field believe that brilliance is required for success, the fewer uh, women... And the fewer uh-huh. African Americans earn PhDs in those fields, yeah. and, and of course, it's not because you know, women can't be brilliant or black people can't be brilliant. Uh, it's because, again, this like fear of being viewed through the lens of a nar- negative stereotype, and also because people with a fixed mindset are more likely to rely on stereotypes. Um, it, it's interesting because I think, in a lot of ways, um, the tech industry does kind of buy into a growth mindset culture by talking about risk and, you know, failing forward. But then there are these fixed mindset things like really talking about geniuses uh, and believing that only certain people can have technical minds or be leaders. So so I see a bit of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, it can be um, sort of even unevenly distributed around like in some parts of an organization or, or a person for that matter versus other parts. I mean, I can, I can often see it in myself, this idea like, no, I'm a hundred percent for innovation and creativity and, and all of this stuff, like, um, you know, growth, growth, growth for sure. Uh, and then, you know, day to day you compare yourself to other people and that's very much a fixed mindset. Like they are so much smarter than me and how could I ever be like that as opposed to what can I learn from that person and how can I, um, iterate to become better, to be more like them, you know? So Exactly. That's actually one of the things when we work with individuals and we're giving individual strategies to, to shift their own mindsets. Um, one thing that we say is you know, try not to compare yourself to others. And the reason is because when you compare yourself to others, you often don't have insight into the experiences that they've had before, the strategies that they're using. And so what you end up concluding is they must just be naturally better at that. But I like what you said about what can I learn from them if you have access to the strategies they use or you can ask them, like, how did you become good at that or asking, asking them to share some strategies. Uh, that actually can be useful in, in that case. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people uh, listening to this podcast um, probably don't have a, a, a lot of influence on the sort of hiring the diversity strategy for hiring at their companies they could probably have some influence in that but um but day to day you know think i'm thinking of like a designer on a team or a design manager of a team of designers or a design team uh in an organization or whatever 
uh, how they might use some of these strategies to try to improve even the work they do with their teams or the quality of the relationships on their teams. And I think about, you know, a scenario of a product brainstorming meeting and there's 10 people around the table and the designer has influence, some influence in that meeting of directing how it's going to go and trying to avoid the homoge- homogeneity and the group think and, and things like that. What, what can they do to just sort of, t- um, make incremental progress along these lines? I love that question. I, I, I love the example of meeting specifically. I think that's another time when any person has an opportunity to have influence. Uh, one thing that we talk about a lot is how do you make sure that you're giving everyone a voice and how do you, as an individual, um, do that when you when you not maybe not necessarily design the meeting? So one kind of simple thing is, you're pointing out interruptions when they happen. Turns out, perhaps not surprisingly, that when meetings allow lots of interruptions, people from, from underrepresented groups are the ones that are going to be more likely to be interrupted. Not because people are bad people, but because our unconscious biases lead us to do that unintentionally. So if you're in a meeting and you notice that, if you feel comfortable, you can just point that out directly. Like, hey, you know, so-and-so wasn't finished yet. Let's hold off and then turn to the other person. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can ask a question to that person who was just interrupted. Another thing is elevating people's ideas. So I think we've probably all been in a meeting where someone says an idea and then people kind of move past it. They don't really talk about it. Two minutes later, someone else says the exact same idea and all of a sudden it's a brilliant mm, idea. That yeah. can be incredibly frustrating for the person whose idea was that was. If you notice that, you can point out like, hey, that's similar to what so-and-so was saying earlier. I'm like excited to keep talking about it. Um, let's, let's build off of this person's idea. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how about uh, sort of at, as a manager of, of uh, a team of people? Yeah, as a manager, there's so many things you can do thinking about how you design meetings. Uh, so you can have norms. Uh, we're going to try to hear from everyone. You can make sure you're directly asking people for their perspective. Also thinking about how you evaluate people. Uh, one big takeaway from the unconscious bias uh, literature is that by articulating in advance what we're evaluating and then aligning feedback uh, with those criteria that we've identified, that helps us be more objective. And that's true when you're thinking about hiring uh, and being really clear about what does it mean to be a culture fit? What questions am, am I going to ask to get at that? What am I looking for in their answer? And it's true when you're thinking about evaluating people once they're in the workplace. Like what's important for success in this job, in this role? What's important for success on this type of project? And making sure that you're, when you're giving feedback, uh, aligning that feedback to those relevant attributes. Mm. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. And feedback in a one-on-one situation as well, I guess you're, you're, you're referring mm-hmm. to like, um, performance evaluations, reviews, stuff like that. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned unconscious bias and things like that. Um, I wonder if you could kind of, if we could point people in a few directions where they could sort of learn more. I know that there are lots of like online courses and books and things to read around unconscious bias, nonviolent communication, um, all of the components that go into sort of the more emotionally intelligent organizations and teams and things like that. You have any thoughts on that? I have a couple of thoughts. Uh, we have a white paper on our website on unconscious bias, and that gives specific strategies for managing unconscious bias at different points in the employee life cycle. So, Chris, I think that's a great resource. We also have a white <laughs> paper on growth mindset, which, mm-hmm. which we just talked quite a bit about. Uh, in terms of other like books, I think Michael Lewis's book, uh, 
the undoing project. It doesn't directly touch on how this relates to diversity, but it talks about like research on how our mind works and processes information. And that helps people understand like why it is that we have these unconscious biases. So I think that's a a great resource. Um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Um, That's the researcher that that did this work on how our minds work. I recommend that too um, in terms of mindset. I think Carol Dweck's book on on mindset called Mindset is is also a a great resource. Sorry, what was that last one? I'm writing these down because I'm going to go read them all. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck. Carol Dweck. All right, cool. Um, I will put links to all of those books uh, and your white papers uh, in the show notes. Um, Where can we uh, learn a little bit more about uh, uh, you and what you're writing and and things like that? Um, You're doing some publishing on Medium? Yeah, so uh, the the bio on Paradigm's website – also write some things on on Medium, and uh, I sent you a couple articles that I wrote for other outlets like Harvard Business Review. Um, yeah, I think those are good places to to look. Great, great. Uh, well, this was fantastic. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Of course, thanks for asking me. It was really fun. Yeah, likewise. Uh, thanks so much. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Bean and this was Presentable. Presentable.